I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 5. <clears throat> if you'll get past Acts and Romans, the Gospels, hang right, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you're going to come to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to look at verses 16, 17, and 18. They have bearing on a Thanksgiving weekend in particular. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? I'm wearing Al- A&M today. I will admit that last night I turned the TV off. It's half. I was watching Star Trek with my wife. I was so mad at some other football team that will remain nameless today. But they finally came through, and that's the only reason I'm here today. I wasn't going to come, but nonetheless. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I want you to listen to, he gives you basically three things, okay? It's a real simple passage. But we're going to walk into 1 Thessalonians to understand how to do it. That's what he says. 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Always keep on rejoicing. Number two, constantly keep on praying. Number three, keep on giving thanks in the middle of everything, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, I want you to notice something, okay? When you hear somebody say, some preacher say, God wants you to have joy, God wants you to be happy, He wants you to be thankful, that's not a true statement. He doesn't want that from you. He commands that from you. These are not options here. This is not the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul and saying, you know, if you get a chance, have a good day. If you get a chance, thank God. No, 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 no. These are commands. When you get up in the morning and you're not joyful, you disobey the Father. When you get up in the morning and you do not spend tomorrow in a constant state of prayer, you disobey the Father. When you get up in the morning and there are certain things that happen in your life that you simply are not grateful in the middle of, then you disobey the Father. These are not options. These are not, boy, be neat if we can do this. These are commands. Joy, prayer, thanksgiving. They're not optional. Now, here's the problem we face. If you go to Genesis 1, it's real easy to do these three things right there. I mean, it's an exceptionally easy thing to do. Everything's perfect in the world. Everything's great. There's nothing that I don't rejoice over. For Adam and Eve, your marriage is perfect. You don't have any issues. You don't have any fights. You don't have any problems. The world's great. If you plant something, and that's all they did, they were agrarian, you plant something, it comes up. It's good. There's always a perfect amount of rain, perfect amount of sun. The temperature's great. It's never too cold, never too hot. I mean, everything is wonderful. You have this great relationship with the Father, The Bible says he comes down in the cool of the day, and he walks with Adam and Eve. So they have this incredible relationship. So everything, it's easy to say, boy, I have joy today. can't not have joy in that. You can't not uh, have a prayer time with God. You have a relationship, and you certainly won't be ungrateful because you realize the God you're walking with in the middle of the day gave you this whole thing. So all three of these things are really easy if you live in Genesis 1. The problem is we don't live in Genesis 1. We live in Genesis 3, where we sinned. We got booted out of the garden, which means our relationship with God is gone. The world is no longer hospitable to us. I watched the other day, uh, it was some posting on Facebook, and there was this guy, I don't know if you've seen this, there's this guy, there's this lioness on the other side of this fence, 
And this guy is fixing to unlock the gate where this lioness is. My first thought is, you always want to do that kind of guy's funeral. Because it's going to be real fast. I'm just going to get up and say, this man's laying in this casket because he was brain dead. Just a real simple funeral. We'll go on home. So he's opening up the gate. I thought that was really funny. He's opening up the gate for this lioness who's pacing back and forth, obviously animated. He gets the gate open. This thing barrels out and jumps on him. And I'm thinking, ooh, this, this isn't good. And then the lioness just rubs her head all over him. They literally embrace. He finally sits down. She stays in his lap like a dog. Now, I, and I think anybody that saw that video, is shocked at that. Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 would not have been shocked by that at all. But when you come to Genesis 3, you're shocked by that because this world is no longer hospitable to us. It is a dangerous place. You know, it's getting farmer. You plant something now, you worry about the rain, you worry about the sun, you worry about the temperature, you worry about everything. You get married, you have issues constantly. I don't care how young. I, my favorite thing is premarital counseling. My hope is to get them to understand, not that marriage is going to be bad, but it is going to be hard. So we face all these things in Genesis 3. So if I face all these hard things, how do I possess a joy? How do I give thanks in the middle of all this? And how do I uh, <coughs> pray constantly because he and I have no relationship? So how do I do that in Genesis 3? And that's the world we live in. Now, he answers you in this book. I want you to go to chapter 1. And I want you to listen to what he says in verse 6. Now listen carefully. He says, you became mimics of us and of the Lord when you received the word in great affliction with what? Joy of what? What does your text say? Holy Spirit. He says, you were in tremendous turmoil, but you had a joy, now listen, that the Holy Spirit put in you. It's not anything you chased after. It's not anything you manufactured. It's not anything you created. It's what the Holy Spirit placed in you. And sure enough, when Paul went to Thessalonica, he got a church going and the Jews went nuts. And they brought one of the big guys that was in that church, a Jew, Jason. They brought him before the big Roman tribunal and said, the people that have turned the world upside down have come here as well. Jason here is a part of this. They are messing up our city, needing you to do something. So what the Roman tribunal does is they extract money from these guys. And then the Bible says that in the middle of the night that they grab Paul, the church at Thessalonica, grabs Paul and says, look, it'd be better if you just go. So Paul leaves the city to protect those Christians. And so now these Christians sit in the middle of this pretty tough fear factor. And yet Paul writes and he says, you know what? In the middle of that, there was a joy the Holy Spirit placed in you that overcame the difficulty of your trial. Now listen to me. I know, because I do the same thing, so I'm not jumping on you, I'm jumping on me. I have a tendency to take the passage about being filled with the Spirit and pretend like it's an option. It's not. 
If I quench the Spirit in my life, if I do not rely on the Holy Spirit, I can't have this joy. When you don't get the joy, you start trying to manufacture holiness out of good circumstances in your life, and you simply can't do that. There is a joy that the Holy Spirit has to implant in you. It is a supernatural thing that comes from Him. It's the only thing that overwhelms the kind of trial that they went through when that church started. I mean, Paul's gone. They run him out in the middle of the night. They're struggling. They're in the middle of this Roman culture that hates them. Now the Jews hate them. They're totally ostracized, and yet they have this enormous joy. Which Paul says at the end of this book is not an option for you. That joy they possess, the Bible would command you in the morning to leave the house with. So it's not an option. You say, how do you do that? You get up in the morning. Now listen to me. You get up in the morning. You don't depend on yourself or any nice things in your life. You get up in the morning and you depend on the Holy Spirit of God to place His joy in your heart. And that's it. Now that's your job. That's a mandate, number one. Number two, he says, I want you to constantly pray. Now, go to chapter 1. Look at verse 4. Knowing, brothers, beloved by God, your election that our gospel didn't come to you in word alone, but in all power and in the Holy Spirit and in great confidence. Now, here's what he says. He says, when we brought the gospel to you, Jason is sitting there. He's a Jew. He hears the gospel from Paul. Paul preaches in the synagogue. Paul takes Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, preaches the gospel. Jason hears it. Holy Spirit convicts him. And Jason then, now listen, responds to what the Holy Spirit says to him about that cross, that it's true and real. And so as Jason responds to that, he becomes beloved by God because now he can experience that love and he becomes elected, he is chosen and adopted as a child of God. Therefore, there are two reasons you can pray. Because he loves you, and because he's established a connection with you that you lost in Genesis 3. I was at the deer lease uh, last week, and as usual, I love to hunt by myself. So I had a couple days, uh, guy there for a couple days, but I had a couple days where I was by myself. Now we are at our new lease nine miles from the road. And then I'm three miles from where we stay to where my deer stand is. So if you want to say we're in the middle of nowhere, remember we have no phone reception. Which means my wife can't find me. Which worries her, she said, if you have a heart attack, I said, yeah, but think of the money. So... There are no lights where we are, (laughs) except the cabin where we live. There's nothing there. Now, I hunt until dark. I don't come down until I pretty much can't see anything. And when you do that in the middle of the country, and it's totally pitch black. I'm driving back to the camp, and and we're kind of on the top of a mountain. I'm driving down, and I'm fixing to hit this slope to go down. And I stop, and I get out. It's pitch black, and the sky is real similar. to It's as bright as what you see inside this room with this dark ceiling and these lights, except you have no idea how many stars there are until you get somewhere like that. You really can't see them in Bryan College Station. 
You have to go somewhere where you're 9 miles, 12 miles away from anything. And when you get there and it's pitch black, the stars are unbelievable. And so I found myself, obviously it came back to me, I found myself going back to the verse in Psalms where he says, what is man that you are mindful of him? And so there's a, there's a good and a bad part at that moment. There's a good part because when, when I look at that, I realize, boy, he's big. <laughs> you know, we use the word majesty and splendor and all that stuff. You, you realize when you see that, he's really big. But the problem with realizing that he's really big is in the back of my mind, I kind of have this tendency to wonder if he's that big. Does he really care what I say? I mean, I look at all those stars, the, the immense vastness in the universe, and I do think, what? You know, I'm sitting here on this little planet, basically this speck on the middle of nowhere. Why, why do you even pay attention to me? And I really believe with all the fiber of my heart, that's why these two verses were written in the Word of God. Listen to these two. Stay in First Thessalonians, but these are out of Psalm 139. Listen. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I'm still with you. But David says, and remember, he's a shepherd. He's grown up outside in the middle of nowhere with no city lights. You don't raise sheep in an urban area. He's out in the middle of nowhere. So every night he's looking at this, and here's what he says. In the middle of all that, he says, you know what, God? You are so big, and yet I know that if I counted how many times a day you think of me, it'd be more than sand on the sea. So why do you pray constantly? Because you have a God that likes you. You have a God that sits up there and he sees you in the midst of this unbelievable majesty he's created. He looks down at you and he thinks about you all day long. And he's established, reestablished a connection with you through the blood of his son. So not only does he want me to talk to him, I have the ability to talk to him. You don't go anywhere that you're not his focus. So understand. You pray constantly, you bet, for two reasons. Because he wants to hear from you. And number two, he has the ability to hear from you. And the last thing. He says, I want you to give thanks. Now, chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians, listen. Verse 7, he says in verse 6, you receive the joy of the Holy Spirit in the middle of trial, so you become an example to all those who believe in Macedonia and in Achaia. For from you, the word of the Lord is sounded out not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith toward God has gone out so that we don't have any need to speak about it. These are announcing about us the kind of entrance we had with you and how you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to await his Son out of heaven who ha was raised from the dead, Jesus, who will redeem us from the coming wrath. Now, 
I know it's Thanksgiving. And there are times when Thanksgiving is really easy. You got your kids around you. Everybody's healthy. Money in the bank. Nice home. Everybody has a good job. Everything's good. It's easy right then and quite fun to say, wow, God, thank you so much. I was flipping through Facebook and uh, saw the photo of a young girl who came through Central. One of the sweetest young girls we've ever had in this church. Tracy Benford just never saw her the entire time I knew her coming, growing up in this church. I never saw her. She didn't have a smile. Ever. Ever. So there's a picture of her. She's a young wife and mom. There's a picture with her husband. And she's completely bald because she's going through at an incredibly atrociously young age cancer treatment. And yet, on that face is the very same smile that I saw all through junior high, all through high school, all through the youth group. How do you, young wife and mom, lose your hair, cancer in your life, the most fearsome word we have, facing that, how do you maintain a smile? How do you maintain gratitude? How do you do that? In one month here, I buried two babies, one eight days old, one three minutes old. I buried a man who married one of our ladies and had never been married before, and within four months of marrying, dies. Buried another lady, 90-something years old. If it's your three-minute-old baby this Thanksgiving, this is a really hard command to obey. Number one, it's hard to be joyful. Number two, it's hard to want to pray because you're pretty upset. And number three, it's really hard to give thanks, and yet the mandate doesn't give me be joyful, pray, and give thanks as long as everything's okay. The mandate is on me regardless. So how do you do that? How do you maintain the smile you had in junior high when you've got two kids and a husband and you're young and you're facing what she's facing? How do you do that? How do you do that when you're carrying a little casket this big and putting it out at the field of honor? How do you do that? Two things. He says, you receive the word in great affliction but as a result of that, the word has sounded out beyond your city about us and the reception of Jesus Christ that you made. Now, they don't know this. There's no internet. They live in Thessalonica. They have no idea what God's done through them. And so Paul says, let me tell you, God has absolutely done an incredible thing. So the first thing, the only thing that allows you to be grateful in this world on a consistent, constant basis is you understand that no matter what happens, God isn't going to let that tragedy be a waste and a bummer in your life. He is going to do something through that in some way, whether you see it or not. He's still on his throne. Nothing comes into my life that doesn't come through his hand. 
I can't trust what I see, I can trust his heart. So number one, and, and let me be clear so we misunderstand here. I'm not grateful for cancer in people's lives. I'm not grateful for dead babies. I'm not grateful for anybody dying. I'm not grateful for the pain we go through. You know why? Because God isn't grateful for it either. It's not what he meant for us to have. What I am grateful for, that even in the middle of all this mess, if I stand in him, he will do something through me and in me that will result in some kind of glory whether I see it or don't see it. And number two, I await his son. Because when his son comes back, he fixes everything. He says he delivers me from the coming wrath. Here's the bottom line. Do you know why God demands these three things of us? It's a little odd to put all three in one sentence, right? I want you to be joyful. I want you to talk to me. And I want you to give thanks, even in a world that there are so many things that the Father says he's not grateful for. Why? Listen to me carefully and I'm done. We can have common ground with lost people. There are a lot of lost people that attend Alabama games, a lot of lost people that attend A&M games. We can all sit down in a football stadium and we be big buddies with people that think the same way we do about A&M. We love Kyle Field. We want to see the Aggies win. It'd be great. We can, uh, we can enjoy all that. We can have common ground with lost people and should. But there are three things lost people don't have. They can find a measure of happiness. They can't find any joy. Happiness is based on good circumstances. Joy is the infusion of the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. They can't have that. Number two, they can't pray because they have no connection to the Father. And number three, they can't be grateful because if anything does good come out of what they happen, it's luck where mine is total designed by the hand of Almighty God. I can show them three things they need and they don't have. And I can show them how to be delivered from a coming wrath. Because one day, he's coming back. I don't care how we divide ourselves today. Doesn't matter. Black, white, rich, poor, man, woman. Influential, not influential, it really doesn't matter. At the end of the day, when we come to Jesus Christ, there's only two groups of people. You're in or you're not. And you're in if you did what these Thessalonians did. When the Holy Spirit told you about that cross, you said, yep, I'm in. Or you said, you know, I hear you. But I don't want you. He gives you the choice. You decide this morning how you want to respond.